and welcome to Mixed Feelings, a podcast about news, politics, and pop culture on the Relay FM network. I'm Quinn Rose, and I'm here as always with my co-host Jillian Parker. Hi, everyone. Hi, Quinn. Hey, Jillian. How you doing? Finals is ruining my life. Yeah, I know. I haven't seen you very much recently. Yeah, I've been dying, pretty much. It's fine. You've been going to formals, don't okay, lie. Okay, this is also true. <laughs> Yeah, how many formals have you been to since last week? I've been to four formals in the past six days. That's so many. I've been to two. That's still a lot. I mean, that's, I mean, it's more than one and more than zero. Um, And you did it back to back. Yeah, but I think two is a reasonable number of formals to go to in one season. It is. Formal season is one week. (laughs) I clearly don't make the best decisions. I don't even know how you ended up at that many. You were just like, I just want to go to all. Yeah, well, we had our formal, and then my sorority formal, and then I was taken as a guest to another formal, and then I wanted to just go to this other formal because they had really good food. So I, The food did look really good. I did not go to this one. This is one we had yesterday? No, 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 the one on Friday that we both went to. Oh, I was at this one. They had you, great cupcakes. Jillian left before I got to this dance. Okay, I, <laughs> I, it, it started at, what, 10, I think? I think it started at 9. No, it started at 9. I got there, like... 9 45 and i said to my friend i'm not staying long i'm gonna want to be showered and in bed by 11 30 and i did it <laughs> i was showered and in bed by 11 p.m i got there at 10 15 and she had left yeah mm-hmm. you're ridiculous to be fair though i think i had just left at 10 15 contrary to popular belief however i do have other friends so it was fine oh yeah but... no quinn has so many friends i was just it's fine <laughs> I mean, I feel like people who just listen to this podcast, it seems like we are each other's only friends, which is maybe your other roommate, but that's fine. Which is a totally valid belief. I mean, we live together, we record together, we have so many pictures together. My Facebook profile picture right now is a picture of me and Jillian, and it's really cute, and the caption is, so grateful I can always find you in my room, my podcast, and my heart. I teared up when I saw it. And then Jillian wrote, you are the soy to my Lent, which is a weird thing to say. I'll grant you, but it was very cute. And my mom commented, you guys are weird. <laughs> but we are weird. It was, I was like, mom. <laughs> so before we get into the main show, I wanted to offer a few comments on last week's show because we got some feedback on the tax conversation. First of all, totally got something wrong. Um, it was kind of both of us, but it was mostly me. So like, Sorry, I realized later that I just completely misrepresented how taxes work on a on a brief part of the podcast, so sorry about that. To clarify, um, I made some comment about how when you're on the line of a tax bracket, so making up numbers completely, but like tax rate is 10%, and then if you make a certain amount of money, tax rate goes to 20%, and I made some comment about like losing money if you just barely go over that line. That's not how taxes work. I don't know why I said that. Because how taxes work is you make, if you have a 10% tax rate on $10,000, and then once you hit $10,000, it goes to a 20% tax rate, and you make $15,000, that means that the first $10,000 are taxed 10%, and the next $5,000 that you're making is taxed 20%, not that the whole thing is taxed 20%. Okay. Woo, taxes, adulting. Just want to clarify that, sorry, I do actually know how taxes work, totally messed that one up. But also, I do know how math works, because some people also had some comments about me, like, allegedly implying that people who make less money 
paying more than people who make more money on a flat tax rate. That's not what I said. That's not what I meant. I know how math works. What I meant was that it's not that it is literally a greater percentage or a greater amount of money numerically, but that it has a greater impact. So like if you lose 10% of a million dollars, you still have basically almost a million dollars. But if you lose 10% of a hundred dollars, like you only have $90 left. Yeah. We weren't talking about absolute value. This was all like utility and the theory of diminishing marginal utility and fun economics. Yeah. And I'm sure most people got like the gist of yeah, what we were actually trying to discuss there. But just in case there's any confusion, I promise we know how numbers work. Like, we good. <laughs> Quinn knows how numbers work. I It's debatable. <laughs> economics major over here. I hope you know how numbers work. The thing with economics is you can make the numbers whatever you want them to be, <laughs> is the thing. You've lost all trust of the audience immediately. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, we see who you are now. <laughs> also, sorry if I sound terrible. Allergies. Oh, yeah, I just developed allergies this year. I have to use eye drops all the time now. I'm pretty sure I, last year was not this bad. I might just have a cold. Not sure at this point, Your but I, I am congested. Hates you. Don't even get me started. <laughs> <sighs> but putting aside taxes, although they're always relevant, whatever. For the most part, putting aside taxes and putting aside our immune systems, the stories of this week that we want to talk about. First of all, healthcare bill. Uh, We talked a lot about this on earlier episodes, how um, the GOP wants to tear down Obamacare, but then they tried to, like, do that and then realized it was a lot harder than expected because what was Trump's great quote? Oh, it's more complicated than I thought. (laughs) Yes, of course. Healthcare is very complicated. Anyways, the new Republican healthcare bill, basically, um, in order to reduce costs, um... They want to get rid of some benefits such as, you know, emergency medical services as well as maternity care. And they also want to get rid of um, one of the really groundbreaking aspects of Obamacare, where if you had a pre-existing condition, it didn't really affect how much you paid. Um, But here in this new health care bill, you would be charged more if you do have a pre-existing condition, which is, you know, not ideal. Yeah, so the pre-existing condition thing is definitely the center of most of these healthcare conversations surrounding Obamacare and potential replacements because the Affordable Care Act was really revolutionary in that way that said you can't discriminate against people because they have previous conditions. And, um, I mean, as covered before, like, you can be born with a pre-existing condition. So what are you even supposed to do? Like, you just can't have healthcare for your whole life because you were a baby who was born sick? Like, what? But of course, there are some people who argue that this really ups costs for the rest of people because it costs more to care for these people. Because like, if you have a pre-existing condition, like, definitionally, that means you need health care uh, more than someone who doesn't have um, a kind of condition like that. Um, so they're like, well, if by like raising the either denying health care, um, as was before, or raising the cost of people with pre-existing conditions, that means we can keep costs lower for everyone else. Um, and while that is to some extent true, um, also, what is the point of health care if it only benefits healthy people? <laughs> yeah, economically, this... So the reason they do this is because there's always, like, that market problem. Um, they use it for cars, the lemons versus plums, or I don't know what fruit they're using nowadays. Um, <laughs> what? 
<laughs> Sorry, it's... didn't mean to interrupt. Keep going. Sometimes they use limes and they use lemons and li- Anyways, so <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, um, so me and Quinn are buying health insurance. <laughs> we represent the entire market. <laughs> Continue. Quinn is all the unhealthy people, and I'm the healthy people. <laughs> Pretty accurate. Continue. <laughs> so, basically, um, what, how Obamacare worked was that everyone, no matter what, had to pay, you know, for health insurance um, because it was mandatory, and so it was all about, you know, diversifying the risk. So, like, everyone would be paying for health insurance, so if Quinn did, if Quinn is sick, then she could easily get, you know, health insurance without really affecting without really affecting other people because they'd be paying, you know, they'd still be paying for health insurance. And also, um, it would work out for the insurance companies because just because one person's sick doesn't mean, like, everyone's going to be sick, right? So it's all about, like, diversifying. It's basically, like, diversifying your portfolio. Mm -hmm. Um, Essentially, what this would do is if you charge people more for pre-existing conditions... That means only the people who have the pre-existing conditions and who actually need health insurance will want to buy health insurance. Um, and so when they do that, then because more people who are have these pre-existing conditions are buying health insurance, that's going to raise the costs of health insurance overall because, you know, more people are going to need health insurance, which will make the healthy people realize that, oh, maybe I really don't need health insurance. I'm just going to back out of the market because the costs are getting too high. And But this is under the assumption that it's no longer mandatory. Yes, this is under the assumption yeah. it's no longer mandatory. Um, which, is so that of, was the, which is one of the changes they want to make. Yeah, right? so, yeah, which is why we had Obamacare, because that made healthcare mandatory. Yeah, and there were issues with that, um, because it was mandatory and there was a fine for not having healthcare, which is <laughs> is twisted when you think about it. You know, that that's pretty weird, right? Um, being fined for not paying for something. But because it was so, like, they could diversify the portfolio, as you put it, um, and, like, that does cause issues, because, like, there are people who, regard because of whatever life circumstances, whatever area they live in, they can't afford healthcare, and now they're being charged for not being able to afford healthcare, and, like, that happened to people, and that was bad, and that needs to be fixed. Um, the way to fix that, I would argue, is not what they are trying to do, which is also bad. Yeah. Yeah, it, this is supposed to be, like, the new and improved Republican healthcare bill, which was previously discussed, which was super um, unpopular and did spectacularly failed. But the whole issue with this, of course, is that the Affordable Care Act was a compromise. Like, it it was not, like, a totally liberal Democratic healthcare plan. It was a compromise with Republican ideas. It was Mitt Romney's healthcare plan in Massachusetts. Um, and so when Republicans are trying to take it down and make it more Republican, like, it's not actually working because they kind of already got what they wanted, but they're just trying to prove they're just, they're at this point, they're trying to blow up healthcare and they're trying to blow up the affordable care act so they can be like, look, it didn't work. It don't, I know there's so many people who don't like it because it's terrible and we're just going to push this other thing through and implode the healthcare market. And then we can pick up the pieces and everyone will say we did a great job because we fulfilled our campaign promises by getting rid of Obamacare but it's this mess, like, I think that the Affordable Care Act is not perfect, and it does have issues, and those issues should be addressed. It's, I don't think the whole thing should be torn down. Strategically, I, I'm a Republican, so I can feel like I, I can say this, but strategically, this just doesn't make sense, because I think the whole point 
of Republicans, you know, motivation of getting rid of Obamacare was because, you know, oh yeah, like this is awful. Like we, our plan could be so much better. Let's do that. Like we'll get rid of Obamacare. This is what we're going to promise, blah, 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 blah. And so then they come up with this new healthcare plan, which may turn out to be worse than the original plan. And so strategically for me, I feel like it would make more sense if they just dealt with Obamacare and just like still blamed all the problems on Obamacare, but didn't really like do anything about it because then like... They sort of go away scotch-free, like they say, like, oh, well, this is bad, but we're there are more important issues to focus on, and they can, like, still, you know, walk away looking like the good guys, but instead they are making it implode from the inside. Wait, so while we were talking about this, there was a breaking news um, announcement that the healthcare bill is, in fact, going to head to a, he- a House vote on Thursday, and it's going to be on the House floor because they've added an additional $8 billion dollars to help cover costs for people with pre-existing conditions. Um, so before they were going to put a um, $100 billion into it, and then um, House leaders were like, no, let's add $15 billion more dollars, and now an additional amendment would add $8 billion over the course of five years on top of that. This news literally came out 15 minutes ago, so I'm um, scanning the article now, and it says that they're not clear on how far that's going to go and if that is actually going to cover people with pre-existing conditions um to the extent that it needs to for them to you know live um is not actually clear yet wow but but that but that extra money gives it more support in the house that it had before so they feel confident about sending it to a house vote okay okay interesting wow plot twist we actually caught something as it happened i know right well only because we're recording in the evening instead yeah well Anyway, yeah, so does not solve the problems with this bill, um, as far as we know, but yeah, that does, that means two important things. One, a little bit more money, I mean $8 billion, but like relative to the cost of everything in healthcare, a little bit more money, um, and two, head into a house vote, which it was unsure of before. Also in this new healthcare bill, because <laughs> why not, um, they're basically taking away these essential health benefit options that... The Affordable Care Act guaranteed, so insurance companies had to pay for things like um, maternity care and mental health care. Like those are all included in health insurance, whereas before individual providers kind of had their own discretion on what to uh, provide, and basically it would strip that provision, and so providers would be able to get waivers for those kinds of things, so that they wouldn't have to provide maternity care, or you know, I don't know, maybe. They wouldn't have to provide contraceptives, or they wouldn't have to provide healthcare to transgender people, or I don't even know how far this is gonna go. Um, that makes me so angry. Yeah, the point is, I am personally of the belief that things like healthcare and civil rights and non-discriminatory tactics and providing a full range of healthcare services needs to be legislated from the top down, or else it's not going to happen for everyone, and that is an unjust society. Yeah, well, Quinn, you're a good person. I got ripped apart in my other in one of my at classes because I said, "Oh, we don't need 401ks." Oh my god. <laughs> I'm going to send Jillian to live off the land somewhere. At least I'm consistent though. Yeah, you just don't like anything. Yeah. So I feel like that's good. Well, not really, but at least I'm at least I'm dependable. <laughs> this is why we live in a society, so we provide for each other. That's the whole point. I did. I took a political theory class this semester. I know all about 
why we philosophically have democracy now, if you want to hear it. Don't ask. It's long. What's the TLDR? Um, uh, TLDR, life sucked, and now we take care of each other, and even if we give up some freedoms for that, it's better than when it sucked. Hmm. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. I guess. Also on the subject of essential democracy and the United States principles, Trump is looking to implement a new executive order that basically currently churches aren't allowed to directly endorse political candidates. They can express, you know, opinions on political and social issues, but they can't be like, I endorse Donald Trump for president. Um, And he, without losing their tax-exempt status, which is a whole interesting conversation in itself, the tax-exempt status of churches. But Trump wants to write, allegedly, like this hasn't happened yet, but he is expected to present this executive order, which would be like, hey, churches can actually endorse whoever they want and still keep their tax-exempt status. This is all part of his push for more quote-unquote religious liberty, which is so full of hypocrisy, I could cry. But um, he's had a lot of support from certain religious leaders and religious groups, and they're really pushing for these ideas of religious liberty, which basically means they want to be able to discriminate against gay people um, and people who want contraception. Yeah, so pretty much this, um, this order would have allowed churches religious colleges, and some other private companies to stop, as you said, providing contraceptive um, if it, like, goes against your religious beliefs, which is... I, I think it's firmly unokay. <laughs> so this is not the executive order that is out now, but this is, um, this is a previous draft of an executive order and stuff that may come about in the future. It's, it's all in, like, the same family of this um, order that is probably coming out this week about, um, tax-exempt status of churches. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just thought the whole point of, you know, America was separation of church and state, and I just feel like this does not, I don't know. Yeah. Well, if you want to hear about that. (laughs) So, I am the member of, like, a secular community, so I'm very conscious and I spend a lot of time talking about the way that the United States is a deeply Christian nation um, in all of these ways. And a lot of it is a direct, which is very interesting. Sorry, side tangent. Um, a lot of the really explicit Christian imagery and words in our culture, like the way we say one nation under God in the Pledge of Allegiance, was added as a direct pushback against communism during mm-hmm. the Cold War. Because communism was equal to secularism because of the Soviet Union, and therefore capitalism had to be equal to Christianity. And so we started putting God everywhere. Um, And now God is everywhere, like the word, the name um, on like our money and our pledge and like all these things. Um, And so people, sometimes people think that those are like essential American values from, from like the revolution when actually they were added because we really, really didn't like the Soviet Union. Fun fact. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's funny how, like, growing up, you know, so I went to Catholic school my entire life, right? So pretty much just, like, growing up and being, you know, on, like, the inside, it was basically, like, Catholic teachers being, like, we're the right religion and, like, everybody else is wrong and, like... Yikes. Yeah. So that's not true, by the way. Just, <laughs> I don't think that way. I'm just saying this is what I was brought up as. Yeah, Jillian was explaining earlier how Judaism is actually right, I believe. <laughs> oh my god, stop. <laughs> Okay, so 
for one of my essays tomorrow, um, we have to do in-class essays and anyways, so it's say which one is like the chosen people, like Jews versus Christians. And so I was like, oh, I'm just going to like write the Christian answer because, you know, I'm Catholic, like it'll be so much easier. And I'm like going through all the notes and like going through all the materials and like reading like parts of the parts of the Bible. I'm just like, wow, this actually makes more sense to say that Judaism is (laughs) the right religion. But I I see what the professor is trying to do here. (laughs) Yeah. For the record, this is an academic theological exercise. Um, not an actual moral judgment. <laughs> yeah, no, but I was just <laughs> Who like... do you think is the chosen one, Julian? <laughs> yeah, it was just like, oh, provide like scholarly like discussions and things like that. And I was like, wow, it's just so much easier to support Judaism with all these materials than Christianity. Interesting. But I felt bad about doing that, so I took the hard route and I'm sticking with Christianity. Good for you. I hope you argue your case well and get a good grade. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> um, yeah, but back, back to the issue at hand of separation of church and state. Yeah, U.S., super Christian um, in very interesting ways. And, of course, there's, like, been pushback against that. But really, pretty much, like, it's really, really hard to be elected to public office if you are not religious slash if you're not Christian. Um, and it's art. that imagery is everywhere. That idea is everywhere. And... So the separation of church and state has always been kind of weird. But then there's this, um, which is, hey, churches are tax exempt and now they can be political organizations and be tax exempt. What are you even doing here? That's not. uh, okay. I don't even know. I don't. (sighs) Separation of church and state. That's literally all I have to say. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's also it's it's not even that at this point is that churches get money like they they get collection services and everything that money generally goes towards you know upkeep of the church and sometimes it goes for charitable donations but i mean maybe now that these laws if these laws are relaxed it's gonna go towards political campaigns like they can bend the rules they can get around that and now if they're allowed to explicitly endorse people who knows i mean i think like when i'm thinking about this it makes sense from, like, a freedom of speech kind of thing. Like, you should support whoever you want to support. And, like, especially because, you know, a lot of Christian values... Well, the pro-life movement is embedded in, like, the conserv- is more of a conservative ideal. Um, and I can sort of see, like, what they're trying to do here. But also, like, it's just, it's just a slippery slope, man. Like, I just know. Yeah. There's also some really interesting history about how um conservative values and hardcore christian values became intertwined which they didn't used to be but i'm not not gonna get totally into that like abortion used to not be a super like hardcore republican issue everyone was like okay Mm -hmm. um it was not priority and then at some points uh the christian right like took over the republican party and now things like abortion are hot hot button issues Ugh, why I don't know. <laughs> Quinn is so much more informed about all of this. Meanwhile, like, I'm over here studying economics. Like, we just draw graphs of things that don't work out in real life. Like, this is literally what I study. Not only am I a sociology major, I've taken a lot of classes slash my job is doing research on social movements and activism. And so I know a lot about, like, this kind of thing. I went to a Catholic school where we 
what were forced to go to a lecture where they talked very badly about Margaret Sanger, aka like the woman who you know changed the face of, <sighs> aka Bay. Yeah, no, she's she's Just pretty kidding. dope. Super problematic fave. Super problematic fave for many reasons. Do yes. not at me. I know. Yes. Um, but she did found Planned Parenthood and did a whole heck of a lot to get birth control actually into the American public at a time when it was still mm-hmm. illegal, which was yeah. dope. She did. She made a lot of progress uh, when it comes to reproductive rights. Um, but I don't know. Like my school, like demonized her as they do with everyone. But it's your fine. school sounds so interesting. I want to visit there and just be like, hey what's up <laughs> it's you don't want to do that <laughs> <laughs> they would not like me <laughs> also before we move away for this i want to connect this to televangelists which i think are one of the primary issues here um so quick background just today i was listening to the newest episode of bad with money which is an incredible show um all about money hosted by gabby dunn and i'll link this episode but it was all about politics and money and there was a section about Donald Trump and how he appeals to a base of people who believe in the prosperity gospel. And what this basically means, um, this is like a whole theological school of thought, um, is that being rich and successful is a sign of God's favor. So basically, Trump does not have to demonstrate that he is religious or a man of God in any way because because he, he hasn't really demonstrated any of that. But because he is rich and perceived as a very wealthy person, that is interpreted as having God's blessing and, like, being favorable to God. Um, and this is, the, like, this is a whole thing. And this is what is behind a lot of um, televangelists and the whole idea of, I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen the John Oliver segment on this, um, but it's, I will link that as well because it is very funny. But there are people who are get on TV and they, they preach and they also say, like, send us your money and it is a seed from which, like, you will grow to be successful because, like, sending us your money is a form of, of like, direct prayer. And this it, is sounding way too much like indulgences circa Martin Luther, circa <laughs> Protestant Reformation. Wow, this is getting deep. But yeah, and so there have been a lot of scandals, of course, of like televangelists who have several million dollar homes and just actually just use all this money to get rich and all this stuff. But on the other hand, like this is a genuine belief of a lot of people and a whole theological school of thought and everything. And Trump is known friends um, slash grew up around people who were maybe not necessarily always directly falling into this category, but um, were definitely close to like prosperity gospel preachers slash our televangelists and all this kind of thing. So there's some really interesting connections there. And I also think when I, I just listened to that and then I saw this story today and I can see a lot of danger there because it's one thing to have a little neighborhood church that endorses a political candidate versus like a huge national televangelist program that raises millions of dollars supporting a political candidate. Yeah, it's just like a slippery slope to a low-key disaster is how I feel about this. So Facebook has been in the news very recently. Um, Not great publicity right now for what they're in, but um, so basically what happened was that female engineers who code for Facebook, they did a study and apparently code written by female engineers was rejected 35% more times than male engineers. Um, And so 
basically one of the higher ups at Facebook came out and said, no, like this isn't true. Like we base, you know, which code we take based on like seniority. Um, yeah, seniority. So people who are in the higher up positions, their code will get looked at first and they'll mostly go like, they're more likely to pass their code as opposed to someone um, lower in ranks, which brings the problem, which brings up, you know, the question, like, why aren't women in higher positions? Yeah, that statement really backfired on them. Well, okay, so women are accepted 35% of le- less of the time. And he's like, no, it's okay. They're just not being promoted. <laughs> it's just like, no, this isn't an, this isn't an analytical thing. This is a systemic thing. <laughs> like, okay. Um, but yeah, it's bad on a number of reasons, just because, like, this isn't great publicity. And also, this just, like, convinces people not to want to work for Facebook, and that exacerbates the problem. Yeah. This is a really interesting thing that I don't think a lot of men understand, is that women know when places suck, and they will not work there. Mm-hmm. Um, and a place like Facebook is going to get away with that for a really, really long time, because they're Facebook, and they're a huge tech giant, and people want to work there. Mm-hmm. But... If So I don't think this story in itself is going to be too damaging to their recruitment on a wide level, but if more stuff of this keeps coming out, then yeah, it is going to be. It gets harder to, like, if you start off being not great to women, it just gets harder with time because women are not going to work for you. Mm-hmm. This is why when people are like, um, we send out ads and no women respond, so how are we supposed to increase the number of women at our company? It's like, okay... What you don't realize is you've just admitted you're doing something wrong in the first place. Because if no women are responding to your ads, there is a reason for that. Yeah, this, this, all of this seems just very counterproductive. Um, I guess that does bring up the question, you know, how much of this is pure discrimination? Because, like, there's no denying it that there's always going to be some discriminatory aspect, um, discriminatory. They, they did a study where, I think it was, like, Juilliard... Um, and they found out that more, like, male musicians were, like, let in than female musicians, yeah. but then they put up, like, a screen, and then it was, like, much more even. They, that's a thing now. When people are doing auditions for major orchestras and schools and stuff, they put up screens so that the judges can't discriminate, which I think is brilliant. Oh, it's brilliant, but the fact that we have to do that in the first place is very disheartening. Yeah. I mean, people have unconscious biases regardless, but 35% is more than an unconscious bias. Yeah. I just, I think also part of it is bias, but then it's also part of, like, you get promoted if you work in, you work the hours and you're there 24-7 and you, you know, you put your career first and, like, women have more, put more value on work-life balance and, like, can't do that. Yeah, that's a whole interesting part of this as well. It's, first of all, tech startup culture, stop. Um, Soylent, though. Great move. Oh, my God. (laughs) Jillian's really into Soylent right now, but that's another topic. (laughs) But, yeah, and but that's interesting as well. Um, Why is it that women put more emphasis on work-life balance and, like, take more time off for kids and all that stuff? But also the way these questions are framed is, like, how much time is she going to take off for work when she has a kid and all these kinds of things? And it's framed very much as the woman has to make a decision between work and home, whereas generally the guy gets to have both because he's not expected to be at home. Yeah. Because, and that's just a cultural systemic thing, which is a problem. 
Also, shocking statistic, women account for 17% of technical roles in the company. That's so low. <laughs> That's literally less than one in five. Oh my god. Sorry, that hurts my brain to think about because I am, my life is just surrounded with women and it's incredible. And the thought of being that, like, that strong of a minority in a company is ridiculous. Yeah, like, the fact that I'm a minority is just weird. We also wanted to link this to another story about Facebook. They're doing great. Um, I mean, we all know Facebook is... But there was a story that came out this week as well about how Facebook can tell when teenagers are insecure, and they did research on this for advertising companies. I think the issue here is that companies will be able to see, like, who's sad, who's not sad, and then target their ads for them and sort of, like, make sort of make a, a business off it, yep. which I just think is not too great to um, sell, you know, mental illness as a commodity, essentially, is what uh, it looks like here. But, um, yeah, it's just Facebook is not doing too hot right now. Yeah, and they say that no ad campaigns were... that. And they say that no ad campaigns came directly from this particular research they did, but I mean, they did establish that, yeah, they can tell when you're feeling good, when you're feeling bad, um, all this kind of stuff. They can see the patterns as well, which I thought was super interesting as a social scientist, I will say. Mm -hmm. Um, They can be like, yeah, so in the weekend, you're more likely to feel like energized and refreshed. But, you know, at the beginning of the week, moves were definitely down on average. And that is so interesting. And the whole world of social science data on social media is wild. Yeah. Like, the fact that we now have... I think it's just going to be interesting in general to... Especially for kids now who have technically... Well, you've essentially, like, lived your whole life on social media. Yeah, I've had a Facebook since I was 12. Yeah, exactly. And now, like, imagine... Like, my sister got a Facebook at a younger age than I did. So it's just, like... You're not supposed to get a Facebook until you're 13, but shh, don't tell. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, to be fair, I think she was 12. Anyways, it's fine. Um, But I think just... We now have all this information, and literally, I think one of... Okay, this is only tangentially related, but I think one of the big things in, you know, politics, or at least, like, if you want to hold public office, was, like, don't do anything stupid because, you know, you don't want your stuff to be, like, found online... Um, and things like that, and so it sort of, like, restricts your behavior and it makes you, like, super wary of everything. But then also, like, I don't know if anybody has, like, a perfectly clean social media. Well, like, socially clean, like, by all, by, like, universally, you know? Yeah, by, like, political office standards. By political office office standards, exactly. Yeah, like, especially, like, (laughs) if I ever wanted to run for office and they could track every meme that I was ever tagged in, that would not be good. Oh my god, remember when your mom got annoyed with how many memes you were tagged in in Facebook? <laughs> yeah, she literally texted me and was like, what is memes? <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> and then I had to explain to my mom what <laughs> memes is. <laughs> I had to explain to my mom what a meme is, so that was fun. Yeah. Um, but no, that's so true, and I am never holding political office, um, as exhibited by this podcast and the fact that I'm a queer atheist, like, it's not happening, but... And my social media presence is pretty clean. Oh, it is. Like, it is. As, as far as people in my age group go, but even me, I'm like, there's probably something out there. Like, people can find things. 
Yeah, and so it's just going to be interesting, like, seeing how the stand. Do you think the standards will change? I think they're going to have to. I mean, we've already seen the degradation of standards in the current president. Oh, too soon, too soon. Yeah, no, that's actually very true. It's going to be too soon for the rest of my life. Oh my god. But yeah, I mean, like, we all know he was on tape talking about wanting to sexually assault women and he got elected president. Like, if some dude's college drinking pictures um, gets him disqualified after that, then what even society are we living in? Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. Oh my god. Notice I said dude, because women will always be held to impossible standards, but, you know, anyway. So, I guess some people are trying to spin this as a positive thing by being able to, you know, target when people are sad versus when people are happy, you know, based on um, the language they use in their Facebook statuses, etc., etc. And so, these analyses can help detect and prevent, well, detect suicidal behavior and then have, like content in your newsfeed sort of react to that to make to discourage suicide Mm -hmm. well i remember there was a story about instagram not that long ago that basically did a similar thing that would look for warning signs and would try to actively help that user Mm -hmm. i forget exactly what it was was, um, um, it was i think it was thinspiration oh yeah okay so i got the message to come up so if i search anorexia and i click on hashtag anorexia this post come up that says can we help post with words or tags you're searching for often encourage behavior that can cause harm and even lead to death if you're going through something difficult we'd like to help and so there's an option where i can press cancel get support or see post anyway so i can see the post so they're not censoring anything but um and now like it saved that option so it'll always show up so that people can see like anorexia content if that is what you want to see but it gives you the option of like hey if you're searching this because you're anorexic like here's some places to get help Mm -hmm. which is so cool not what facebook is doing at all yeah no so they're not saying like they're not saying that oh someone feeling happy would see a different ad than someone being sad i think it's just more like the power that they have is you know really fascinating Um, And you can target ads to certain age groups and you can target ads to, like, run during certain times of day. Mm -hmm. I think it's just, like, the scope to which that is possible is just insane. Yeah, and I mean, the scope is definitely, like, you can get really specific with targeted ads now. And I think that that's even going to get more and more specific as time goes on. Um, And again, they do say that no direct ad campaigns came from this research that they did on moods on Facebook. But they did the research. Like, they have that data. They know. One critic was saying how this information isn't, like, public. Like, they don't know. Like, they're, not everyone can do this and, like, have the technology to, like, run through all this data and, like, make all of these different things. And I guess one of the arguments was that, oh, maybe they should give this information to the government or give the how-to to the government so they can, like, know what's going on as well. Ooh. That's a and weird argument. I was like, I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's weird because, like, we're on these websites and we know they're collecting all our data. And it's, what's interesting is that our generation doesn't care in general, which is kind of weird. And for me, even even though I'm like, yeah, I mean, I care, but I don't care enough to stop using this surf, the service. I don't even care enough to probably take proper precautions um, because I'm like, well, it's just targeted ads. I mean, who cares if they know everything about my life if they're just going to give me an ad for it? 
even though they could do other things with that information. Yeah, it's, like, really scary, because it's just, like, I think, it's just really scary, because I think not only does, yeah, I think I would agree that I still care, but it's just so much more inconvenient to, you know, to, like, care deeply and to go out of your way to avoid um, putting yourself in these vulnerable situations. Mm -hmm. And because that's the world that we live in now, Um, these are the spaces that we inhabit, and so pulling away from those spaces, plus putting inconveniences in those spaces, that has a market effect on our life, which is weird to think about, but yeah. Yeah, we're becoming commodities. Oh yeah, we're we're, our eyes, our eyeballs, and our time and attention are the most valuable commodities on the internet. Mm -hmm. Isn't that weird? Ugh. I'm going to be a hermit. Yeah. Jillian's just going to live on her desert island with no government, no internet. It's libertarian land. (laughs) (laughs) I'll come visit you once a year. Okay, we're going to drive on the left side of the road just because. Just because. No, we're going to switch it up because it doesn't matter. (laughs) Because you won't have roads because you're libertarians. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to push back on that. Guess what happened this week? What? The Tony nominations came out. Woo! That's so exciting. I know you're just pretending to be excited for me, but I appreciate it. The Tonys, otherwise known as the best day of the year, um, are in June, but the nominations just got released. And so the four nominations for best musical are Come From Away, Groundhog Day, not kidding, Groundhog Day the musical, Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, and Dear Evan Hansen. And for the first time ever... I have actually seen shows that are nominated for Best Musical before the Tonys, and not only that, I've seen two of them. Although I didn't, Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 was in Boston before it was on Broadway, so I saw it was in Boston, but, so I haven't seen the Broadway version, but like similar enough. And I did see Dear Evan Hansen on Broadway, so I'm really excited about this, and I'm 100% rooting for Dear Evan Hansen because I did not like the Great Comet of 1812 super much, and I don't know anything about the other two. So here I am. And... I, Jillian is literally just, like, on Facebook not paying attention to me, but it's fine. To be fair, I'm just looking at pictures of the Met Gala. Okay. <laughs> no, no. Just, it's fine. You don't need to listen. I, this is just for me. <laughs> ben Platt, the star of Dear Evan Hansen, also he was in Pitch Perfect, he was the adorable magician friend, is nominated for Best Actor. Come, come closer. I'm gonna come closer to the mic. His performance as Evan Hansen is the best onstage performance I have ever seen in my entire life. And if he does not win the Tony for Best Actor, I will make a Tony with my hands, drive to his house, and deliver it to him, because that man deserves a Tony. That is not stalkerish at all. <laughs> that got weird in the middle there, but you know what I mean. This is important to me. <laughs> I think. <laughs> oh, yikes. So you saw you saw the show with him in it? Yes, I saw the entire original Broadway cast, which is also the first show. Yeah, that's Wait, a- no, that's not true. This is the second show I've seen the original Broadway cast for, the first one being Finding Neverland. Okay, okay. That's so cool. I love it so much. <laughs> I know. I know, Quinn. We know. <sighs> yeah, go see Dear Evan Hansen if you get the chance. I think it's totally sold out now because it's really popular. But if you get the chance, highly recommend. Listen to the cast album. Also watch the Tonys. It's going to be so fun. I'm going to be live tweeting the entire thing, so watch out for that June 11th. 
All right, that's my indulgence. Let's talk about the Met Gala. <laughs> Woo, the Met Gala! And I have the article pulled up, so I'm going to be showing Quinn pics of what people were wearing so I, we can get some feedback. Yeah, because you seem, you've seem like you've already looked at a lot of these. I've seen very little of this, so mm-hmm. I'm excited to check it out. Yeah, so pretty much um, the Met Gala... Met Gala, Met Gala, whatever. It's basically Anna Wintour's annual party that everyone wants to go to. Yeah, what... Like, I don't even know what it is. Yeah, it's like... V unclear. No, it's like a, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be like this demonstration of, you know, fashion and art, and then they invite all these people, and it's like, you have to be super, super famous to get on the invite list. Like, it's very, very exclusive. You know who is on the invite list? Who? Ben Platt. (laughs) Fun fact, Ben Platt was there with Cynthia Erivo. Anyway, sorry, continue. (laughs) So, basically, it's just a chance for, like, celebrities to, you know, market themselves as, like, fashionable people, blah, blah, blah. So everyone wears, like, crazy outfits. Um, But it always has a theme, too. So this year's theme was the art of in-between. And so, like, it's totally up to interpretation. Like, some people just, like, dress really, really nicely and look great, but they don't really stick to the theme, slash they don't really have a theme. And then other people go, like, super hard. Um, So, for example, this was Rihanna's outfit. Yeah, okay. So this article will be in the show notes to check out, but do you want to give a brief description of Rihanna's outfit is? I, I can't really tell. It kind of looks like all those, like, paint chips that you find at, like, Home Depot, except made of cloth, and then just, like, on her. She's very, like... She looks like a colorful, colorful pigeon. Yeah, they're very feathers. It's yeah. like, it's like if she's a... But all the feathers are sticking, like, straight out. You see, um, oh my god, what does this remind me of? The, uh, the animal in, um, Up, the movie Up, the bird. Oh, Kevin! Yeah. Kevin. It reminds me of Kevin. Yeah, but of course she's also gorgeous because she's Rihanna. And look at her shoes. She has very tall shoes. And they're beautiful. Those Rihanna? are really good shoes. I know. Yeah, so Rihanna definitely made a big splash because just by existing she makes a splash, but also mm-hmm. her dress was ridiculous. I love it. Yeah, and then we have on the opposite end of the spectrum, like... Bella Hudid, who looks, like, still super hot, and she was wearing, um, she's just wearing, like, a kind of see-through pantsuit. Well, not pantsuit. Interesting. Unitard thing. She looks like Sandy from Greece. Yes. shinier. Yes. And then this was, Kendall Jenner's outfit was basically, like, a see-through cloth kind of thing with strategically placed pieces of material. Um, but it's funny, because... Her design, the designer of the dress is La Perla, which is, like, a very, very famous underwear line. Oh, my God. Their underwear is so expensive. Literally, a pair of underwear from there is, like, $300. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, like, two inches of lace. I was, like, this is not, no. Anyways. Two inches of lace? That's not a lot of underwear. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's the point. <laughs> anyway, so it's, like, the whole theme of, like, in-between, like, in-between clothes. Like, oh boy. Yeah, that is a weird... Wasn't last year the theme was the future or something like yeah. that? And there was a lot of oh, chrome and... Cy- cyborg. Yeah. yeah. But that's that's an easier theme to go for. Mm-hmm. Whereas in between, what does it mean? Yeah, they described Kendall Jenner's outfit as a body thong. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Any other notable standouts? Nicki Minaj looks super hot. Um, oh, and then... Priyanka, I'm totally going to butcher this name and I apologize, but she's beautiful. Um, Priyanka Chopra in this very, like, elaborate trench coat. Oh my gosh, her tr- she's wearing a trench coat, 
but the trail of it is, like, ten feet long. Yeah. That's really cool, although it seems very inconvenient. Yes. Um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of these gowns have trains, which I just feel like is super uncomfortable to walk in. If we were invited to the Met, what would you wear? No. Or what designer would you want to wear? Because basically, like, the designers, this is great for them because it gives them a lot of publicity, and so they will just make, you know, custom pieces for these people. Okay. I do not know any designers. Okay. Yeah, I... I don't really know anything about designers either, but I just know that I would it, I would incorporate a turtleneck. Wait, okay. So first of all, you asked me that question with you having no base knowledge of the answer either. I could have just made up a name. Yeah, you could have. And I would have just been like, oh yeah, I love her work. I should have done that. Okay. Also, that is hysterical. Jillian is wearing a turtleneck right now. You are somehow wearing an activewear with a turtleneck. You say that like it's hard to find activewear with turtlenecks. I don't know any activewear with turtlenecks. That's that's like not when the you're, point of activewear. When you're when you're running outside and it's cold. Okay. <laughs> Most oh, of- I don't I don't run people by the way. <laughs> she looks really cute though. Um, first of all, I love that. I think that's perfect. Do, like, would you really go for the theme? I feel like I. I feel like I would either really commit to the theme or just not adhere to the theme at all. Like, I don't know if I could do the in between. See, for me, it's weird um, because sometimes parties have themes and I feel really uncomfortable about them because I'm always self-conscious, like, what if I really commit to the theme and no one else does? Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I go ham for Halloween. Oh, you guys better be ready (gasps) for Halloween this year because Jillian and I are going to have matching costumes and I'm not going to spoil them yet, but they're going to be great. Well, they're not matching, but they're coordinating. Oh, yeah. Coordinating costumes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my Um, goodness. (laughs) Our is going to be so bombed. (laughs) Uh, Incredible. Um, and I'll know that other people at this gala will be doing themed, because people always do. So I think I would go for it. Yeah. It's, it's an excuse to be weird. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I don't know. It's, it's, you know, like, you can pull off this kind of thing when you're Rihanna. I'm me. <laughs> yeah, Rihanna can, Rihanna could honestly just wear, like, a Ziploc bag and make it look, you know, worth five zillion dollars. Yeah. But I did... If I'm invited to this, presumably I have people doing my hair and makeup and designing clothes for me, so maybe they can make it work. Yeah, honestly, I think I would just, it's like half like, oh, I want to be creative, and then the other half, it's like, you know, you guys are the experts, make me look as great as possible. I think we should get invited to premieres. Ooh, we should. That's the thing that, so I watch a lot of British YouTubers, and they seem to always be going to premieres of movies. I think we should get in on this somehow. That'd be so cool. (laughs) Yeah, it'd be so fun. Ugh. I should probably stop telling people how much I hate movies then, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, they don't, don't they could be like a, a mark of honor if Jillian Parker likes your movie, then, Ooh. you know, that means something. Yeah, let's market it like that. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, we could just dress up and go to the movies that basically, you know, just simulate the experience. <laughs> <laughs> At a Lowe's theater near you. And on that note... Uh, thank you for listening today. You can find us on Twitter at MixedFeelingsFM, where you can tweet at us or give us a DM. Uh, you can also find us at Relay.fm slash MixedFeelings. Um, you can also find us... I realize I've been saying the iTunes podcast store. I think they rebranded into Apple Podcasts, so I will change that now. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, and you can also leave us a review, which would be cool. You can find me at AspiringRobotFM. You can find me at underscore Jillian Parker. 
Wow, thanks for talking with me today, Quinn. Thanks for talking with me. I'm Jillian Parker. I'm Quinn Rose. And these were our mixed feelings. Your emotional breakdowns, though, at least they're, like, yes, they're not good, but at least they have sort of, like, a unified, like, a theme going on, you know what I mean? Like, mine, like, I'll just, like, get in this, like, weird state, and suddenly, like, I'll drop a pen, and then I'll start crying. <laughs> oh my god, that's me whenever I don't sleep enough. I, like, if, if I get, like, five hours of sleep, I wake up the next day, and I'm like, well, time to cry. <laughs> <laughs> that's just for the episode title. <laughs> well... Time to cry. <laughs> a podcast by Quinn Rose and Jillian Parker. A life by Quinn Rose. <laughs> An autobiography. <laughs> a memoir. <laughs> a live action film. Who would play you in the live action adaption of your memoir? Oh, me. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely me. <laughs> nice. What about you? I feel like she hasn't been born yet because I am too young and by the time I'm successful enough to have a a movie made out about me, I'm the person who would play me has not been born yet. Okay, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Or at least it's not successful yet. If it happens next week, though, Jennifer Lawrence, what's up? Oh, wait, shut up, because I literally was thinking, well, Jennifer Lawrence is older than you, and oh, wait! This is, okay, this is a thing. When the first Hunger Games movie comes out, someone, a friend of mine messaged me and was like, you look like that girl plays is in the Hunger Games. Yeah, you do. And like, People have told me this over the years. I look less like her now, um, but especially, like, early Hunger Games era. Like, look it up. We're weirdly similar. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't... I never got... Oh, like, you look like this person. Literally, like, my friends would just be like... Well, not my friends, but, you know, in, like, 8th... 6th, 7th, 8th grade, the your classmates or whatever. They'd be like, oh, my God, you look like Brenda Song, who plays London Tipton and. You know, so you like Zach and Cody, I'm like, just Yikes. because we're both Asian doesn't mean I look like her. I mean, I would love to look like her. She's gorgeous, but I'm just saying, like... <laughs>